You're listening to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Gotcha. I'm Joe Fulgham. M. Night Shyamalan, universally respected filmmaker. I don't believe it. I'm Kevin Leeson. How do you fool a Nazi? Tell him exactly what your plans are. I'm Chris Stewart. Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hoo-hoo. I'm Torn Atkinson. This week on Caustic Soda. It's the Caustic Soda Podcast! Yay! It's time to set the mics up. It's time for Tales of Woe. It's time to take the red pill on the Caustic Soda Show. It's time to do our research, unless your name is Joe. It's time to load the wiki on the Caustic Soda Show. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it makes me very hungry to introduce to you, Chris Stewart! Yay! But now let's get things started. Why don't you get things started? It's time to get things started on the informational, aberrational, strangulational, nauseational, strapped in for the Caustic Soda Show! Hoaxes. Let's ask Stewie. Hello. Our return guest. I've perpetrated a hoax on you guys, as a matter of fact. Oh, you're not here to talk about hoaxes? No, that's not it. This is my fifth time here, and I fooled you guys into thinking that I know stuff. Oh, Every yeah. single time. Oh. Suckers. <laughs> so you wouldn't be able to tell us the difference between propaganda, hoax, fraud, conspiracy theory, that sort of thing? They all overlap. A hoax definition, which I'm pretty sure you guys have. Uh, something intended to deceive or defraud. Right. Who knows what Poe's Law is? Who's, what, what? Poe's Law. Uh, like Edgar Allan Poe? Uh, be as creepy as humanly possible. No, I know that's I more know of a suggestion law. than a law. Poe's law is the uh, internet law that it can be very difficult to determine whether somebody actually has a crazy belief or is just pretending to have that odd belief. Is that true? Uh, nuke the gay whales, that kind of thing. Well, oh, maybe that's a little pave, too extreme. Pave the earth, named after its author Nathan Poe. I have stairs in my house. I am protected from the ro- the pusher robot. from the pusher robot <laughs> and the shover robot. What? I'm confused. Go to Google and look uh, look no, for sho- shover robot and pusher robot. Oh, okay, do that. Yeah, shover robot. If you can find the who was it? Something awful. Something awful. Yeah. Did the fake chat where they let the guy talk to the the robot? That was oh the the, the whole start of that. Yeah, that was great. That was a oh. uh, that was low tax talking with some random kid on chat and convinced him convinced that- him he was a, a building a robot designed to help push old people around. And he let him talk to the robot on, on Messenger, and the robot he just typed in caps, and and the person would be like, "Hello, robot," and he's like, "I push old people downstairs." And he's like, "No, don't do that, robot." And he comes back, "What was he saying? I couldn't see what the robot was saying." And he's like, "He's pushing. Get out of the house. He's trying to kill you." Oh, you had to be there. That seems no. like you had to be there. No, you, no, you can you can be there. It's on the internet. Go look it up. Nah. Be there. The internet. Be there. <laughs> that should be the internet's new slogan. We told it, TM. I just TM'd it. Woohoo! Uh, Jasper Masculine uh, was a magician prior to World War II, and when the war started, he got roped into something called A-Force. A-Force. Which is a great name. The very first force. The whole point of this group was to basically try to physically, visually deceive the enemy. 
So him and his group using like their stagecraft. After the fact, being historical World War II thing, there are guys tearing apart trying to figure out what's fact, what's fiction. But the few things that seem to be at least based on reality, one was prior to um, the Battle of uh, El Alamein, maybe? I've, I've, yeah, I've no, liked... that was it. Yeah, before El Alamein, it was Operation Bertram. And he took a thousand tanks and made them look like trucks, and then took two thousand trucks and made them look like tanks, and then did things like they set up like a fake pipeline, but they built the pipeline so it looked like it wasn't going to be ready in time for an attack. Like everything was done to fool Rommel into thinking that the attack was coming from mm-hmm. the wrong direction. Smoke and mirrors. Uh-huh. Uh, and he the did smoke and mirrors. He campaign. did other stuff. Was he made Alexandria disappear? And by the whole dis- city. By disappear, basically, at night, they turned off all the lights of Alexandria and then built a tiny fake Alexandria three miles up the coast so that when the German bombers came over... They bombed a bunch of lights <laughs> they'd set up. A fake lighthouse and etc. So, in other words, Copperfield, they should have him in Iraq right now, or Afghanistan. Making Elephants giant disappear. buildings disappear, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. Know. Uh, Tanks as trucks and trucks as tanks. That, yeah, and there good. are actually photos of those. If you go, they like cardboard can, tubes stuck on top of cardboard trucks? canvas, uh, inflated elements. You name it, right? Like that'd be fun. You want to be on cardboard tube duty there, Torrin? I do. But my favorite World War II hoax is Operation Mincemeat. Operation Anybody? Mincemeat. Anybody? Uh, this is well before D-Day. They wanted to get a uh, foothold into the Mediterranean and uh, Africa and all that. And they basically started putting a word that that's what they were going to do. Rommel's down there. And the British military, like the Allied forces, started a whole series of deceptions. And one of them, called Operation Mincemeat, was they put the word out, we need a body. They couldn't wait for the perfect guy, so basically it was just under cover of darkness. At the last minute, they found... Hey, Johnny, come here. (laughs) Not quite like that. (laughs) We need you to save your country. (laughs) What's up, Sarge? They found a Welshman who had committed suicide, and they created a fake background for him, turned him into a Royal Marine... But as a Royal Marine, they wear Savile Row. The officers wear Savile Row-made outfits. They're tailored for them rather than generic outfits. Uh, So you couldn't keep it secret if you were going to bring a guy in and say, would you mind measuring this dead guy for a uniform? For fear that that he'll then go home and say, I just measured a a naval officer uniform for a dead guy. Like Like they did everything they could to keep this as... So they they kept his uniform off the rack. Yep. They stuffed fake orders in Intel and dumped them off the coast of Spain. And he washed up. Oh, a little and they, misinformation. They, they took his body, and the the German uh, spy in the area basically ran with it, took it back, and said, yep, they're showing up in um, Greece and Sardinia. And then they went in in Sicily instead. There you go. But the beautiful part is, is that between all this masculine stuff, Operation Mincemeat, after D-Day, stuff would happen like a landing craft would land, and there weren't supposed to be battle plans taken into the battle, but some were left on a landing craft that the Germans got their hands on took it back to German intelligence to its Hitler, and everybody said, yeah, we've kind of been fooled a lot, so we're just going to ignore this, even oh, though it so was the, the entire battle At that point, it was plans. real. Yeah. Wow. Disinformation campaign. It's called a haversack ruse from World War One. Haversack. Haversack. Uh, that's a sack you own. It's a sack you took from a girl. Push it down. A haversack. Uh. Ooh. Oh, no. That's a, uh, that's a pre-op transsexual. <laughs> <laughs> the, the concept is called a haversack ruse. It was developed in World War One, where uh, an officer took his haversack bag, put fake intelligence mm-hmm. in it, and accidentally lost it where the enemy would find it. And then they had a sack. Same deal as the D-Day thing. They actually they left a biker scout uh, in Africa dead in the road with uh, what were supposed to be maps of where the British 
put all their mines, which were completely fake. And all, but all it did is it, it funneled Rommel into where they were waiting for him. So Oh, Rommel. They were always trying to fool Rommel. Why? Poor Rommel. Because well, he yeah. was so good, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty, pretty Rommel badass. kicked ass and took names, so it was like, throw everything we got at Rommel. And what do we got? Tanks? No. Trucks dressed as tanks. Rommel, Rommel, Rommel. <laughs> how, come, when, how come that made me hungry? Why did that all of a sudden make me hungry? I don't, I don't know. know. Conditioning. So Rommel's the tank burglar? <laughs> <laughs> so what's a Piltdown Man? It's a famous anthropological hoax concerning the finding of the remains of a previously unknown early human. consisted of fragments of a skull and jawbone collected from a gravel pit at Piltdown, a village in East Sussex, England. Was this guy supposed to be the missing link or something? Yeah. The idea was is we found a hominid from the right time period where there was kind of a gap. So here is our missing ancestor from this. So which part was the hoax? I don't know if they... Did they go back to find him or did they just say, here's what we found? I think they just said, here's, here's what, we, what found. we found. And it was made up of a human skull from the medieval age, a 500-year-old lower jaw of a Sarawak orangutan and a chimpanzee fossil teeth. So they just kind of put all these things together and said, oh, look at this. It's different from humans, but similar. So this is... Were they archaeologists? Were they actual scientists that were like cobbling this together? Or was this just some dude who came up with this in his backyard and went, I'm going to be famous? Uh, At a meeting of the Geological Society of London in 1912, Charles Dawson claimed to have been given a fragment of the skull four years earlier by a workman at the Piltdown gravel pit. And according to Dawson, workmen at the site had discovered the skull shortly before his visit and had broken it up. Revisiting the site on several occasions, Dawson found further fragments of the skull. That, was he an actual archaeologist? or Charles Dawson? Yeah. Or was he uh, just trying to uh, get off on his name being very similar to Charles Darwin's? This is a, this is, this is a period of time uh, where there are a lot of self-taught guys. Oh, yeah? There was a lot of... Renaissance men. If you had some level of education and just threw yourself into a topic, that was as good as any sort of official training. Did he get away with it for a while, or did people uh, actually... This went on for was... 40 years. It's, it's, 40, it's four, noted zero? as uh, prominent for the mm-hmm. attention paid to the issue of human evolution and the length of time that elapsed from its discovery to its full exposure as a forgery by Kenneth Page Oakley, Sir Wilfred Edward Legros Clark, and Joseph Weiner. Holy free holies. Microscopic examination revealed file marks on the teeth, and it was deduced from this that someone had modified the teeth to give them a shape more suited to a human diet. I just want to point out that out of those three guys who unearthed this, who discovered this hoax, that the last two were Legros Weiner. The o- Oakley LaGrosse Wiener. Oakley LaGrosse <laughs> Wiener. If they were uh, barristers, that, that was would be the, their the worst legal law system. office yeah. ever. And it, it becomes one of the easiest ways to pull a hoax is that under the right conditions, you can throw something out and say, scientifically, I say this is this. And then the guys who are actually really using science, it takes them a long time to go through the steps to counter you. Right. Yeah, you can just say just about anything, can't you? You're just like, hey, uh, missing link. I we, found it. We do it every bit. episode. <laughs> yeah. Say anything. What's next on your list? Art. Art hoaxes are huge. Oh. Art is a hoax. History is filled with a crap load of guys who have made something and passed it off as something it's not. Now, I mean, there's obviously a million examples of replicas or ripoffs or anything like that, but has anybody tried to uh, pass a completely original work off as the original work of somebody else? Yes. Let's hear it. Forgeries. Uh, Fritz Chrysler in the 1890s like turn of the century the mm. guy was an excellent violinist like concert level violinist and composer and he would go around and everybody's like you're a genius there's no way in hell you're going to be able to put on a show because you're not anybody 
you have to pay for an orchestra and you're a struggling musician. So he went home and he started writing uh, compositions that he then attributed. We found these manuscripts and I'm going to put them on. And he ended up having like huge concerts and stuff. And he said like, they belong to who? Who? Yeah, who were they attributed to? Like who did he claim these lost uh, manuscripts A came lot from? of them. They're not the bigger ones. Pocanani. Vivaldi is probably the most famous. Oh, he did some right. Vivaldi. And he put on these shows. And, of course, because it was Vivaldi, etc., you know, he managed to get the shows together and became... So they were operas? No, no. Violin, concertos, etc. Oh. But over time, it ate away at him because critics would write reviews along the lines of, well, his violining is good, almost good enough to accompany the masterful work of Vivaldi, whatever. To the extent that one guy, and this goes back to what I was saying before, one guy dissed him saying, how dare he insert one of his own pieces into this concert alongside these beautiful waltzes of the master so-and-so, to which he basically sat down and wrote a letter to the critic saying, yeah, I know it's good enough to insert in there because I wrote the other one too. And the other dun, guy dun, dun. was the other guy was. Oh, so he outed himself. He no, but he didn't out himself. The beautiful part is that the other guy, not realizing he was listening to a fake composition, could not bring himself to tell everybody. I reviewed it as if it was real, and it turns out it's not. I was fooled. <laughs> I was fooled into thinking it was a real composition by these guys. So for years it went on that he just passed these off. All right, I want to I want to talk about Mary Toff's bunny births. <laughs> Mary Toff's. Bunny births. I'm going to plug my ears now. It sounds like a really tasty but weird candy at Easter. Yeah, no kidding. Only bunny at births. Easter. Bunny you can only have it for seven days of the year. It's like raspberry-filled chocolate bunnies. Cadbury's yeah. <laughs> bunny birth. And the, and the raspberry leaks out all the time. In 1726, England, a young woman named Mary Toft told a neighbor that she had been sexually assaulted by a huge rabbit while weeding <laughs> a nearby field. Well, okay. She was weeding a nearby field and was sexually assaulted by a, a huge, huge rabbit. rabbit. All right, go on. Take take a moment and visualize that. Her story was dismissed was as a bizarre a delusion. Was she wearing a particularly short skirt? Until six months later, a doctor was called to her bedside. According to his published report, the woman gave birth to five bunnies. <laughs> While news of the strange birth spread throughout England and Europe, Toft gave birth to a few more rabbits, astounding many learned men of the day. What, uh, what year was this? 1726. Ah, uh, okay, now I get it. They couldn't pass that off now. <laughs> Eventually, skeptical investigators exposed her, so to speak, and she confessed to having her husband secretly... <laughs> she exposed herself in a number of different ways as well. And she confessed to having her husband secretly hide bunnies in her bedsheets and in her... Hoo-ha. Her hoo-ha. The resultant public mockery created panic within the medical profession and ruined the careers of several prominent surgeons. Prominent surgeons who was like, oh my god, cross-bunny human birth is possible? This this woman's obviously deranged. Like, there's uh, there's no two ways about it, right? Like, is this, uh, is this a cry for help? Cry for fame, mostly. <laughs> the, the two became really famous for a short yeah. period of time. She was just hoping people would donate carrots for the cause. <laughs> and she's just a big fan of carrots. The field she was weeding wasn't wasn't growing any carrots. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking that the bunny wasn't actually trying to sexually assault her, but that she had been using a carrot there before, and it just wanted to get it out. Here's the <laughs> thing that I, I that I'm sort of fascinated with: <laughs> the weird version of getting a tapeworm out story. <laughs> the, the Here, <laughs> for this short amount of time, do they actually believe this story? They should have been out looking for the rabbit, right? Yeah. They should have been out like, "Oh, we got to bring this guy to justice." Dun dun. Yeah. It's, it's going to have to pay bunny dun, child support. A whole a whole room full of people. Baby bunny bird, baby bunny bird, and somebody step. Wait a minute. Okay, oh, yeah. back up. There's a man-sized rabbit raping women. Let's deal with this first. <laughs> exactly. The baby bunnies we can hold off on for a second. Let's find this scourge against nature. I was gonna go with an army of Melver Fuds combing the forest. <laughs> That's right. I was gonna go with the king calling for horse and pfeffer. <laughs> Where's my horse and pfeffer? 
You should like this story a lot, though, Joe. I do. Because the story. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, this... like it more. <laughs> like it more. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Okay, like, hold on. There, there is hold a, on. There's a cat. There's a cat. Oh, right he is. Oh. You can't you see can't, it out there in Caustic Soda Land, but he is liking his ass Stop. off right Whoa, now. Whoa, calm down on the liking. He's, Hang on a second. Hang he's on. liking gonna, it so much, he's gone red just, in the face. I'm just going to put my hands below the table. <laughs> now I'm liking it. All right, tell me more. Tell me more about what I should like. The, the whole the, the whole thing got shut down because one of the king's surgeons, basically a bunch of them, put her in a room. And then just made sure nobody went in or out or whatever and said, mm-hmm. more babies, babies please. Yeah. And nothing. Like, and they didn't even was... realize that how giving birth worked at the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, because like, you could do the same thing with somebody. I gave birth to a healthy baby boy human. We're going to well, put, you on, put her in this room. Prior, more prior, babies. Prior to you. that, prior to that, like literally people would show up, go to her bedroom, and just oh, and practically on demand, she, she would produce bunnies. Like produce... They, there didn't have to be. Another right. incident with the man-sized rabbit. Oh, okay. She would just basically almost on command. Yeah, more bunnies. Which makes is... sense because you know rabbits breed like so. You think they're in? You think that they're inside the womb making more babies <laughs> with think, one another? I think I think rabbit spunk is so powerful that it can just continue to sit in there and keep making babies. Isn't is that this, how it works? Is this I the have... very first example of a furry? <laughs> like, did anybody posit the theory that, no, this was just a dude in a suit? And she's like, no, it wasn't, buddies. I don't think a suit's going to make your babies come out bunnies, though. Yeah, no, that, 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 she did that to disprove it. More importantly, is this the first time the word spunk has been used on your podcast? I think it is, uh, actually. Really? And if it is, ding, 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 that's our <laughs> word of the day. <laughs> should we invent the Caustic Soda podcast bingo? Like, should they... <laughs> So if you have spunk on your playing card, check it off now. <laughs> yeah. The other question I have about this story, I'm still not off the So bunny, many the bunny questions. Birds. Yeah. How come the husband went along with it? Like the husband was a was an accomplice in this whole thing. Two words, poor farmers. Let's posit a hypothesis here. Somebody in this room might be married, right? At some point in time down the road. And uh, your wife comes up to you and says, all right, honey. I want to pass off like I'm giving birth to little baby bunnies. So I got a bag full of them. I got a bag full of them right here. I need you to hide I a thought couple. you'd never ask. I need you to hide a couple in the sheets. And if you could insert one in my cooch, that would be awesome. I've been working on those uh, muscle contraction exercises. You've been working your way up, up to bunnies from yeah. gerbils. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I, uh, chinchillas. Started with ping pong balls. Hi, hi and, Kevin. Uh, this is Torrin. I'd like to introduce you to Torrin. <laughs> Could it just be that, like, one, she, she was doing the whole uh, hamster up the butt thing, but with bunnies up the hoo-ha, and oh, one the... came out, and she had to start explaining it, how why that happened. <laughs> oh, uh, I was, was raped, raped by a giant That's rabbit. That's how it all like, what? The That's the one of those weird... It's like a Three's Companies episode. It's in there. Somebody rings the doorbell. There's this whole dinner party that happens. And then suddenly she can't she, hold it she's anymore. She's trying to get away. People keep talking to her and telling her story. She's got to go to the bathroom. Oh, if you're really going to go. No, the... let me just tell you this one thing. And then all of a sudden. You know, history is dirty enough on its own By the way, before totally you three <laughs> get your hands on it. I'm just saying. By the way, it totally would have been Janet, not Chrissy. Or it could be a Roper's hoax. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's and right. Tell me about the protocols of, of the, the elders, elders of Zion. Zion. Alexander II. Tsar of Russia during okay. his reign, yep. the head of a secret police needed a scapegoat. Pick the Jews. Famous oh, historical wow, scapegoats. I mean, they're the greatest scapegoats of all time. Part of setting up setting up as a scapegoat is he 
had a book commission called The Protocols of Elders of Zion, which said the Jews control the world banks, et cetera, et cetera, and used this as a way to, as a reason why to go after these people. Even though Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas, stood up and said, now this book is a, a piece of shit, the white Russian supporters, the Tsarist uh, supporters, when they lost in the revolution and spread across Europe, they took the book with them. And that book basically ended up everywhere. It ended up in the hands of Henry Ford. Henry Ford republished it, which allowed it to get republished. Ended up in Britain, where the publisher of the Bible reprinted it. Wow. Ended up back in the hands of Hitler. So people think that a lot of it actually fed into Hitler's own thing, mm-hmm. and turning the Jews into the scapegoats. And to this day, like Muammar Gaddafi thinks it's real. Uh, Idi Amin thought it was real. There, and it just persists to this day that if you go online, it'll probably make you vomit. There's a huge chunk of people that are like, real book. You, you know why people think it's real? Because it's got such an ungainly title. Like, nobody would write fiction with such a bad title. That, Protocols of the Elders of Zion. That mm-hmm. and the best hoaxes are the ones that actually feed into something that people want to believe. But you want to believe that there's somebody else out there responsible for your life not being as good as it should be. The War of the Worlds hoax. Most people didn't fall for it. But what makes it notable is a surprising number of people did fall for it. Mm-hmm. Most people were immune to it because they're like, Martians, really? Okay. But like I said, the minute somebody puts forward a book that says this feeds into every fear and hate you've ever had about why you're poor and broke and and your Jewish neighbor seems to be doing all right, and they go for it. And it just, to this day, it just cannot die, even though over and over again, even like shortly after its inception, an actual like czar stood up and said, fake. I'm interested in what the original print runner was. I don't the have that Protocols number. of the Elders of Zion. Publication was in nine issues of the newspaper. Which is uh, probably tens of thousands of copies yeah. at a minimum. Znamya, Z-N-A-M-Y-A. And the headline in the newspaper was the Jewish program to conquer the world. Like oh. it, it is so out of hand that at one point a, a, the German minister prior to the Second World War was shot because a bunch of people basically got were convinced that he was one of the elders, like the current council mm. members, wow. and they shot him dead in the street. Cottingly fairy hoax. I love this The one. photos. In 1920, a series of photos of fairies captured the attention of the world. The photos had been taken by two young girls, the cousins Francis Griffith and Elsie Wright, while playing in the garden of Elsie's Cottingley Village home. Photographic experts examined the pictures and declared them genuine. Those are not experts. <laughs> oh, well, Again. it's 1920. It's pretty impressive that a couple of little girls, though, were able to uh, cobble yeah. together mm-hmm. this. Uh... It was very simple the way they did it and very effective. I've got some of the pictures up here that will put a few of them up on the site. Spiritualists promoted them as proof of the existence of supernatural creatures. And despite criticism by skeptics, the pictures became among the most widely recognized photos in the world. It was only decades later in the late 1970s that the photos were definitively debunked. I just I can't believe anybody looked at these photos and went. Oh, yeah. Well, totally before Photoshop. <laughs> well, so how did they explain, like, how come they couldn't take anybody to their backyard and in their garden and actually show them fairies? They could only capture them in photographs when they were the only ones present. How come they didn't pull the, the bunny chick trick and stick them all in a room and say, bring your fairies here now, chickadee. Let's see them. Well, fairies are wonderful in that they don't show up to people who don't believe. Supernatural. This was so this. they were what they were. They were paper cutouts, basically. Yeah. Cutouts. yeah. So they drew fairies. They on paper. They cut them out and then just stuck them in front of themselves and took a picture. Yeah, or hung them yep. on thread or. And they admitted it was a hoax. Weren't they quite old by the time they just recently, it? like like five or six years ago or something like that? Yeah. So they, they were they like died. eighty or ninety years old just before their death. They finally admitted that it was a hoax. And it's pointed out that if fairies are flying around, their wings are absolutely still even mm-hmm. though the camera is incapable of getting that shutter speed for right. capturing right. something moving like the water Well, in the that and they don't look real. <laughs> they look what does like, a fairy look well, like? Yeah. They look and like... And I realize that that's an open question. Paper cutouts. Yes. 
Well, that's because that's what fairies look like. Don't you know anything about fairies? They can Ooh. look like whatever they want. <laughs> I like when they were examining this to see if they were quote unquote genuine. Did they look only for some trick photography, and they didn't actually think that's to actually go possible, so yeah. simple as to say, oh, maybe they just drew them and cut them out and stuck them in front of themselves? Well, you're talking about a period of time where double exposures were still splitting the debate. Right. Where people were like, no, it's absolutely real. And only a few people were going, hey, you can kind of do that with double exposure. Mm-hmm. That- yeah, so they got into this and went, hey, this isn't a double exposure. There must be fairies. Yeah, I would say exactly that. And, and the thing is, there actually is something. Th- those are actually there. They're paper cutouts. Uh, so there's going to be shadows and Perhaps Occam's razor should have been employed. That wasn't invented in 1920. Everyone knows that. <laughs> it depends on what people want to believe. Hoaxes are easier to pass off when people want to believe. And at that period of time, there was a lot of people that really wanted to believe in like the spiritualism side of things, right. fairies, etc. I'm guessing that photographs in this era were not cheap. Elsie's father was an amateur photographer complete with his own darkroom. So All right, okay. the... Knowing his daughter's artistic ability and that she had spent some time working in a photographer's studio, he dismissed the figures as cardboard cutouts. <laughs> All right, let's quickly go through the Cardiff Giant. Lay it on me. Ten-foot-tall purported petrified man uncovered in 1869 by workers digging a well behind the barn of William C. Stubb Newell okay. in Cardiff, New York. The creation of the New York tobacconist named George Hull an atheist decided to create the giant after an argument at a Methodist revival meeting about the passage in Genesis 6-4, stating that there were giants who once lived on Earth. He hired men to carve out a 10-foot block of gypsum in Fort Dodge, Iowa, telling that it was intended for a monument to Abraham Lincoln. He shipped the block to Chicago, where he hired a German stonecutter to carve it into the likeness of a man and swore him to secrecy. What exactly is gypsum? It's a soft rock. No, soft rock is what you hear on that radio station <laughs> that you never want to go to. Various stains and acids were used to make the giant appear to be old and weathered, and the giant surface was beaten with steel knitting needles embedded in a board to simulate pores. In November 1868, Hull transported the giant by rail to the farm of his cousin, William Newell. By then, he had spent U.S. $2,600 on the hoax. Nearly a year later, Newell hired Gideon Emmons and Henry Nichols ostensibly to dig a well. And on October 16, 1869, they found the giant. Newell set up a tent, charged 25 cents for people who wanted to see it. Two days later, he increased the price to 50 cents. People came by the wagon load. Archaeological scholars pronounced the giant a fake, and some geologists even noticed that there was no good reason to try to dig a well in the exact spot the giant was found. (laughs) Yale paleontologist Othniel C. Marsh, who we talked about in the dinosaur episode, called it a most decided humbug. (laughs) Some Christian fundamentalists and preachers, however, defended its authenticity. So who are we going to believe then? I mean, (laughs) I'm torn here. Do Do I believe a scientist specializing in digging up old things, or do I believe somebody who is religious? That's a good question. But it was made out of a block of stone. Like, if it was real human remains or remains of uh, an ancient creature, wouldn't it have just been bones? No, it's petrified. Petrified man. Petrified man. Yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. Not now. Uh. But in the the mid-1800s, if you hold up a piece of rock saying, it's petrified man. A lot of people go, oh. Hull sold his part interest for $23,000 to a syndicate of five men, headed by David Hannum. They moved it to Syracuse, New York. The giant drew crowds that showman P.T. Barnum offered $50,000 for the giant. When the syndicate turned him down, he hired a man to model the giant's shape covertly in wax and create a plaster replica. How do you covertly cover a 10-foot-high stone carving with wax? Look over there! (laughs) Hey, he's P.T. Barnum. 
He put his giant on display in New York, claiming that his was the real giant and the Cardiff giant was a fake. As the newspapers reported, Barnum's version of the story, Date of Hannum, was quoted as saying, There's a sucker born every minute, in reference to spectators paying to see Barnum's giant. Over the time, the quotation has been misattributed to Barnum himself. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So that is, such, the that is such a great hoax, too, that Barnum pulled off, because the only way to prove that his was a fake was to the analyze was the fake. other one as well and find out that it was a fake. Hannum sued Barnum for calling his giant a fake, but the judge told him to get his giant to swear on his own genuous in court if he wanted a favorable injunction. <laughs> When you're suing a guy over a fake when yours is in fact a fake, it's kind of like if you rob a bank with another guy and then you steal that other guy's money and then he tries to take you to small claims court or something, right? (laughs) So on December 10th, Hull finally confessed to the press. Both giants were revealed as fakes in court. The judge ruled that Barnum could not be sued for calling a fake giant a fake. Both it and an unauthorized copy made by P.T. Barnum are still on display. I like the guy who uh, commissioned it for $2,600 and turned around and sold it for 23000 Yeah. wonder if anybody went after that guy. That's money momentum. <laughs> Is that not almost exactly the plot or the basis for that Simpsons episode with the new mall that opens up and they find the petrified they angel? Find the angel. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really like this uh, story. Again, because how could anybody buy into this? Petrified man. It's ridiculous. <laughs> hey, nobody ever found a petrified man before. Nobody ever found a petrified man since. It's ridiculous. My nickname That's what they said you. about the dinosaurs. And dinosaurs are bones. You don't find like a whole uninterrupted That's dinosaur. That's what they said about the first bone they ever found. <laughs> you know how the guy on Jersey Shore calls himself the situation? You're, you're the rational. All right. Everything so far you've said is, how do these stupid people believe this oh, stuff? we got to get you a tighter shirt. <laughs> Love Kevin, here's Kevin standing on the shoulders. Kevin being born relatively recently, standing on the shoulders of giants, looking down on people who were down there before all this, going, how could you possibly not have the same opinion Didn't as I Didn't you guys do? read the Encyclopedia all, Britannica? With all my modern knowledge, you foolish 150-year-old people. Uh, I don't know. I'm not 100 not Can't you just Google it? In the news, 
Peruvian police fabricating a mass murder story in late November, a story that spread like wildfire around the globe. Police said victims' bodies were held above candles while the fat melted, dripping into tubs positioned below. Officers claimed three men had been arrested in the remote jungle region of Huanuco, where officials found human remains and two bottles of fat. The men had told police that just one liter of human fat could fetch $15,000. BBC News reported one of those arrested told police the ringleader had been killing people for their fat for more than three decades. The gang has been referred to as the Pishtacos. Ooh. That sounds yummy. Fish tacos? After an ancient Peruvian legend of killers who attacked people on lonely roads and murdered them for their fat. Wow, America is like a, a hidden gold mine. On December 1st, Time magazine posted a story about the investigation. The story may have a much more sinister underbelly. Could the allegation of homicidal liposuction possibly be a smokescreen to distract attention from other crimes, including the existence of a death squad that may be operating within the country's national police? Oh, yeah. Uh, homicidal liposuction, totally the name of a band. Not a very good one. The man behind the story, Peruvian crime investigator Eusebio Feliz, fabricated the whole thing. Suspicion grew when medical experts pointed out that if fat was worth so much, liposuction surgeons would not toss hundreds of pounds of fat in the trash every year. That's exactly okay. what I was thinking when I heard $15,000 for now, a liter of I am fat. assuming that the reason that he fabricated this story is about to emerge, because I'm dying of curiosity. The AP reported on December 1st the story was under investigation, and four days later that the National Police Chief later dismissed the head of his investigations unit amid doubts over the story's veracity, as well as suggestions that police and Interior Minister Octavio Salazar... Salazar, Salazar. <laughs> Suarez, may have made up the story to squash the Trujillo Death Squad article published three days before the story broke. All right, okay. So there was a Death Squad article that was making the rounds. Mm -hmm. And uh, what is the best way to kill a news story? Get a better news story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like bad news judo. You know, you take that attack, there's a death squad, and you just use its own momentum against it. No, they're killing them for their very expensive fat. <laughs> and that's weirder, so you're going to believe it. Is it Hitler who made the comment about the big lie? Uh, the expression was coined by Adolf Hitler when he oh. dictated his 1925 book Mein Kampf for a lie so colossal that no one would believe that someone could have the impudence to distort the truth so infamously. So it's so outrageous that nobody would ever make that lie because nobody would believe them. And therefore, I believe him. Oh, that hurts my head. Uh, the only other in-the-news hoax I have is 2009, Toronto. Greenpeace has claimed responsibility for a publicity campaign that left nuclear radiation pills on the doorsteps of Toronto homes. The action was meant to draw attention to the Pickering nuclear power plant and the organization's plans to shut it down. Instead, panicked homeowners called police when they spotted the mysterious small green tablets. The pills came with a warning about the hazards of radiation exposure and instructions to take the unknown substance as a precaution. Of course, the iodine tablet, now known to be derived from seaweed, won't protect against any of the harmful rays Greenpeace warned about. In fact, the stunt sparked a health scare and a warning from Toronto police to report any sightings immediately. Greenpeace says the pills were to be delivered to every home within a 30-kilometer radius of the Pickering plant. Their reasoning? The Chernobyl disaster destroyed everything in that same range. Hmm. So bad idea. It's one of those seemed like a good idea at the time moments. It's like, oh, yeah, let's raise awareness about the dangers of uh, nuclear power by making everybody think they're about to be destroyed. Greenpeace didn't think something through? Shocking. Pop culture. Oh. Oh. <laughs> All right, let's start out with signs. 
because Kevin uh, loves it. Uh, and it's got crop circles in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, What's the deal with crop circles? Do we know that all crop circles were done by, like, the same dudes or... No, no, they're done by all sorts of different people. The first ones were done by a couple of guys in England. Who eventually came out and said we did came it. Came out and said we did it, and here's how we did it, and here's us, here's us filming ourselves how we did it. And then everybody else started copycatting? Or were people copycatting well before, before they came out? Well yeah. before they were yeah. copycatting. Because right. people figured it out. My brother-in-law has created a crop circle in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And it got in, in the news and blew up. Oh my goodness, aliens are visiting Chilliwack. And he was like, no, that was me and my buddy. We I got like, drunk. I remember uh, when I was a kid reading about crop circles before they'd been properly debunked and having them say they have to be from aliens because they're perfectly symmetrical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no human, human being, can make something no symmetrical. No human being could make something symmetrical. You couldn't measure things out with some yeah. sort of crazy device that had distances on it. Like a string like attached a to a board. string or a measuring tape. Woo! Did you guys see? Only aliens can come up with surveying technology. Technology, just like the pyramids. Space. Have you? Did you guys see the crop circle that they made for the the TV quiz show QI? Yes. It's so great because what they did was uh, it. Well, it's better if you watch the video. There was a crop circle in I want to say Norway, but it was somewhere around there, and uh, they brought a crop circle expert out to investigate it, and she was this true believer weirdo. And oh, I can feel the energy here, and touch the ground; it's still quite warm. And oh, yes, this shape—it's quite circular, but there seem to be other parts off it that are different, and they're they're obviously trying to tell us something. Yeah, and, and they then went, they, they, went then they the showed her. Something. They showed her an aerial shot, and it's. The QI logo for the show, and she doesn't recognize it, right. and continues to talk about how amazing it is, and oh, and it looks sort of like a person. Oh, just so embarrassing what true believers will look at and, and refuse to recognize the, as a hoax. Didn't they say after the fact they they got a lot contacted quite a bit after the show with people? Was that real or they like yeah. even afterwards they were like after they're all not? belly laughing at the reaction from this person and pointing out, no, we hired somebody to make that. And still people believe. Well, so it, why was there uh, crop circles and signs? What was the deal with that? Well, it was supposed to be a precursor for the invasion of planet Earth by this alien race that is deathly allergic to water. And so they decided to invade a planet that is 75% water. Oh. Yeah. Brilliant. I didn't believe uh, Joaquin Phoenix was a, a burgeoning superstar in the baseball field arena. The baseball field arena? Yeah. I didn't believe that aliens would invade Earth and not be able to get out of a locked closet. Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't believe that aliens would invade Earth to steal children with the little gas jets in their wrists and not have any sort of like ray gun technology that could get through a boarded up window. That's just your own preconceptions about aliens. You have the technology to travel between the stars, but you organize your invasion of a planet using crop circles, as opposed to, you know, radio. Oh, wait, no, smoke signals? You have technology that allows you to survive the vacuum of space in order to arrive here, yet you can't figure out how to make some kind of diving suit to keep you and, safe from water. And a cloaking device. kills you. They have cloaking devices, because they all kind of like appear out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. They have cameras rolling, and they just appear. You have cloaking devices for your ships. And you get locked in a pantry and can't get out. Yeah. Yeah, that was the disabled alien, the one disabled they had That's alien right. they had to bring along. Let's send Rory Stumpy. down there. Rory wants it to humans. <laughs> Did anybody see the movie 2012? Only because I was given a free pass, I would never have paid to see it. I watched it because it was about the end of the world. And you watch all movies about the end of the world? I try to, you know. Yeah, what was your take on it? Oh, it was not very good. 
That was my take on it. <laughs> I love the fact that they just kept like running away from natural disasters. Yeah, because right? right. you they, can just they, outrun them. They fled an earthquake. They fled a, a volcano eruption. They fled meteorites falling. They fled. Yeah. I was waiting for the story to explain to us that John Cusack was actually the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because some of the shit he pulled off only could happen <laughs> with divine intervention. Like driving through a rolling office building and out the other side oh, in a yeah, limo. Yeah. You're looking at the going real. And then he continues to pull off. Well, it was it was a stretch limo. <laughs> I mean, so you can stretch the truth in a stretch limo. Uh, yeah. I like that. The reason this ties into hoaxes is that there's an entire movement that's perpetrating on... the idea that the end of the world's going to happen in 2012 because of errant not... planets okay. and magnetic shifts well, in the Earth and the it, Mayan calendar. Is that a hoax? Or... This whole thing is predicated on the fact that the Mayan calendar ends on that date. Yeah. Yet a calendar is the most manufactured thing yeah. in human history, yeah. right? Like, we just completely made it up. And the Mayan calendar ends in the same way that our calendar ends every year on December 31st, and then there's another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just that, happens that the Mayan one is 5,000 years long or whatever. Is that why you call me every New Year's Eve screaming, it's the end of the world? Yeah, that's right. And I, and I have to say, Torin, just go down to the mall tomorrow. There'll be a kiosk. You can pick up another calendar. Oh, my God, thank you. <sighs> Thank God. Will it have cuddly bears on it like my last one did? I will tell you right now, if you would like to retain your sanity, just never enter into any reading or thought or discussion about this matter at all, the 2012 thing. Well, I'm just wondering. Like, just put it down and walk away. Are, are like, calendar sales for 2013 going to be really bad? It's just like, why make your bed in the morning? You're just going to sleep it in again that night. I totally agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. I remember uh, there was one of those situations back in the 80s. I remember being a kid, so I was like probably 13 or 14 years old at the time. It was going to be one of these situations where all the planets perfectly aligned. It was the first time it was happened in... Syzygy. Yeah, the first time it happened in however many hundreds or thousands of years or whatever, and there was this doomsday cult that came up with the theory that everything on Earth was going to end, that when all the planets aligned, there was going to be some sort of universal vibration and blah, blah, blah. They had this huge group of people at some park and they were all like looking at the sun and chanting for the end of the world, and they can't wait. It's a rapture, and they're all going to be carried off to space mm-hmm. or whatever. And they had cameras rolling. Somebody, one of the networks was there rolling cameras, and the time passed, and nothing happened. And it was just a whimper. And I remember watching it on TV and just laughing and <laughs> laughing and laughing. And I was but a child. And yet, I could see all these crestfallen people who were terribly disappointed. Well, that the Earth same time ended. next year, guys. <laughs> yeah. yep. Did uh, Has anybody seen the Yes Men movie? I have. No. I've seen a really long trailer for it. Oh, tell, what was <laughs> what's your review of the trailer for the Yes Men? Oh uh, God! First were, off, what's what is the Yes Men? We uh, talked about them on the Bhopal, the Bhopal disaster. Yes, because they said that they were with the company Union the Chemical, Carbide, Dow, Union Chem- Carbide. Dow Chemicals, who which owned Union Carbide. They they got themselves on the BBC, and they said they said that they were from Dow Chemical and that they were going to pay damages to all the families of the people who had died and all the people who had been hurt or injured. They're going to pay damage to all them. And the stock price fell like 26% in like right. 10 minutes or yeah, something like yeah, that. Because, yeah. uh, you know, nothing the business community hates more than paying people back for damages that they've incurred. Well, there's two parts of it. Well, and Dow Chemical get... had to come out the next day and actually deny that they were going to give anybody any sort of compensation whatsoever. Exactly. They like to pretend they're somebody they're not. Like spoof websites that are close to in name enough that it fools people to come to as right. if it was a real corporate website. They get themselves into major conferences as representatives of corporations. They went to one where they gave a presentation. Yeah, they became like a guest speaker. Gave yeah. a presentation about how this corporation had a plan 
to help the world by basically feeding the poor recycled feces. Like human waste would just be collected up, recycled, processed into fake food nuggeties, and fed back to the poor. But what what kills me about this is that the whole thing was we're going to sell off Union Carbide. We're going to use the $12 billion to help people, and stockholders went, fuck yeah. that, yeah. to the tune of $2 billion of stock. They yeah, just they like, just dumped their stock. It was stock. like 26% or something like Jeez, that. Jeez, Louise. Anyone want to talk about War of the Worlds? I do. Oh, that was yeah. a hoax movie, right? War of the Worlds was two movies. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, well, they got the Tom Cruise one. Did they split it up like Kill Bill? Yes, they split it up between like 30 years, between the 19... Uh, Long ago. 50-something. Yeah, well, the radio show was like in the 40s, right? That's the hoax. They didn't even necessarily plan... It was an accidental hoax. They, yeah. It doesn't matter. They had uh, disclaimers at the, coming the into... Of, but yeah, somebody, the beginning of the somebody end, coming yeah. into the middle of this radio play as if people well, thought the, the that big, Martians were landing on yeah, Earth. Yeah. The biggest problem leading in was, if I recall correctly, that there was another radio show on another station that ended slightly long. So pe- a lot of people were switching over to his oh, after it already started. So they missed the Welcome to Mercury Theater, whatever. Right. And here's our presentation of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. And then went into it, so they missed that bit. So anybody find it like a conspiracy that it was H. G. Wells' book and Orson Welles did the voice? Oh yeah, no, it's uh, just nepotism. Oh, <laughs> that, Orson Welles was such an egotist; he added an extra e. That's right. So I liked the first movie, the 1950s movie, uh-huh. never having read the book. And uh-huh. then when I saw the Tom Cruise version, they all the, they had all those weird blood stuff. Yeah, weird blood webbing and stuff blood, like that. Blood I thought, spores. That wasn't in the original movie I saw. That's stupid. But it was it in the was original book. book. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it turned out I was stupid. <laughs> the interesting thing about the War of the Worlds is if you go back 12 years prior to England, there was a, a gentleman, a Reverend Knox, had a show on the BBC broadcasting the barricades. And he did the same thing where he had a fictionalized story about anarchists. Because remember, this is only like a decade out from like the Russian revolutions and all this. We're basically mortaring Big Ben, like they dropped Big Ben with mortars. They blew up the Savoy Hotel. They made up a fake name, the Fake Minister for Traffic, which is completely not a real minister position in the parliament. They caught him trying to sneak out of parliament in disguise, and the rabble got him and hung him from the lamppost. And the same deal. A lot of people were like, yeah, okay, whatever. But it started, It actually, they actually kind of fooled them that it started, that they were supposed to be listening to a political speech, and then it tuned into this breaking news or whatever. So it, a lot of people went, oh, wow, this is kind of clever and stupid and funny. But again, it fooled enough people, up to and including the admiralty called up his, like, his guys going, start preparing to get our ships up the Thames because we're going to have to quell the riots. Uh, what riots, sir? Sorry? And basically by the end of it, they had to bust in and the guy had to do the, we sorry, we're sorry, this is not real, you haven't been paying attention, whatever, sorry, sorry. The, the admiral ma- called stop being a douchebag. <laughs> stop being a douchebag. <laughs> the best part, though, is that the American press laughed at them. They were like, ha ha, stupid British people getting fooled by a radio. Twelve years later, the war, war world the happens. Guys, I have a terrible secret. From space? I'm a hoaxer. Oh. Remember Spaceship Zero? Oh, yeah. The original uh, motion picture I, soundtrack. I helped with that. And Spaceship Zero, the role-playing game. Yes. Uh-huh. All perpetrated under the idea that there was an original radio play and movie being made to go with the soundtrack that the Darkest of the Hillside Tickets did. Yeah, so? I own all those things. Yeah, but there was... I have a bootleg recording of the original... It's predicated on lies. I, how's that possible? <laughs> how's that possible? Why would you do such a thing to me? When we released the role-playing game, there were a lot of little reviews just from, oh, I'd really like to get a hold of this. 
original radio play. I can't find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. We had a couple of people around the world make up fake websites. Like there was a guy in the UK who did like spaceshipzero.co.uk. And we would doctor JPEGs yeah. of old paperbacks and uh-huh. just change the titles of the the. Is of this the, the books. first time you've actually come out to actually admit that this is a fake? Like publicly? Like maybe to a few people you've seen? Yeah, to a few people we've blown the secret. Not Kevin. Not Kevin, though. <sighs> we kept him in the dark until now. <sighs> <laughs> but on the I'm crushed in you know there was one reviewer who figured it out and he said there's no real radio plays there's no movie coming out is there and it's like no but if you want to do your review as if there would be that would be great yeah there's a spoiler alert at the bottom yeah. that said these properties are not real this is all based on bullshit right that if you wanted to highlight it and read it you could do so Oh, but he okay. could also read the review of the game just up to that point. Oh, so he kind of used a spoiler tag yeah, so that yeah. it wasn't always there, but you yeah, could read it? Yeah, exactly. Nice. Now, if I recall correctly, the role-playing game had several or a few seasons of fake like episode guides yeah, to the and we German. Had, we had Monty Cook, who co-designed Dungeons & Dragons 3.5, write an opening to the book as one of the characters in the original really? German TV series. Oh, that was nice. another part of mythology. <laughs> And we did have the episode list at the end of the book and all yep. other kind of stuff. So Yeah, I remember even I, I got a quote from Neil Gaiman on it. Oh, that's right. That's right. He gave us a quote saying uh, something along the lines of, while I never did get to catch any of the radio play or the, the later television show, I did enjoy the, the weekly serialized comic strip uh, <laughs> that appeared in the Times when I was a young boy. Mm-hmm. So how many people did this actually fool, do you figure? Two. <laughs> Kevin. No, oh, I, Kevin, three. I've, yeah. I'm speaking from the roof of Broadcasting Building, New York City. The bells you hear are ringing to warn the people to evacuate the city as Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. Hutchison River Parkway is still kept open for motor traffic. Void bridges to Long Island, hopelessly jammed. All communication with Jersey Shore closed ten minutes ago. No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, Air Force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. Streets are all jammed. Noise and crowds like New Year's Eve in city. Wait a minute. The the enemy is now in sight above the Palisades. Five, five great machines. First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here, wading, wading the Hudson like a man wading through a brook. Now the first machine reaches the shore. He stands watching, looking over the city. Steel cowlish head is even with the skyscrapers. He waits for the others. They rise like a line of new towers on the city's west side. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now. Smoke comes out, black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. They're running toward the East River, thousands of them, dropping in like rats. Now the smoke's spreading faster. It's reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They, they're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing 6th Avenue. 5th Avenue. 
a hundred yards away. It's... It's 50 feet. <laughs> 